What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. Thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to what the if. Club Soda Edition. When we began the show some years ago, I did not ever imagine we'd have a Club Soda Edition. But uh, oh, I've been where... hoping. So this is the <laughs> fulfillment of many years. Exactly. Oh, Something about that seems very Wes Anderson. I don't know. I just saw Wes Anderson's new movie. I can highly recommend it. Um, that uh, voice you heard, the one desiring a future of club soda, is Professor Matthew Stanley of New York University, historian of science. How are you, sir? Uh, I am slightly fatigued from uh, walking the puppy around this morning. She's particularly oh. high energy, um, so there have been some challenges. Oh, my. Oh, my. How old is the puppy now? Uh, the puppy is four months old. Um, and has discovered things like uh, she can reach the top of the counter and she is faster <laughs> than the cats and, <laughs> and that if she climbs up on the couch without making eye contact with us, we can't see her. Um, so all sorts of exciting <laughs> things going on. That's funny. That's funny. Also with us, um, virologist from Rockefeller University, Gabby Panicia, how are you? Any uh, any I, monsters in your in your uh, domain? Not monsters, but I currently have a cat who's absolutely made of Velcro and will not <laughs> let me get more than like two feet from her. Yeah. She's a little wigged out because my partner's on a business trip, and so normally he works from home. So there's normally somebody who's like always here during the day, uh, and so when I come in from lunch, she like bolts to the door, nearly trips me, and it's just like so chatty, like. Where have you been? I've been alone for years. Like the the melodrama in this animal is insane right now. That is funny. That is funny. Uh, so she's acting more like a dog than a cat. Usually cats are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she'll normally like meet me at the door, but like uh-huh. she'll amble towards me. That's more cat like. Where she'll like she'll take her time a little bit. This is now like she hears the keys. She's there. Yeah. 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 That's funny. That's funny. Um, it's a little hot here in the city. Yes, one might oh, yeah. say that. Yeah, a little schwitzy, as we say, the New York word. Um, apparently, it's it was the hottest uh, day in the history of Earth the other day. Um, and oh, and that's exciting. The day before, I think it was the day before it was the hottest day, and then the day after it was even hotter. So, um, yay! Things are cooking. <laughs> things are cooking. <laughs> Somebody's cooking. Um, uh, this week, we have uh, another ripped from the headlines episode. Uh, very exciting, very cool, especially for us space mission nerds. Um, and uh, in, so before I get to that, uh, Matt, maybe, could you explain to the uh, gathered Listeners, um, what 
when we rip this from the headlines, what are we going to do? And why do we do it? Well, we usually rip it from the headlines and then uh, push it a little further. So the headlines, mm. depending, I guess, on what news um, agency you read, um, generally restricts itself to things that are true. Um, we operate under no such restrictions. Uh, so we find ourselves <laughs> inspired by reality, um, but then we twist it to our own means uh, uh, and goals. Uh, which is what I uh, will do here today. And then we figure out um, what might be different about the world uh, and run with it. Exactly, exactly. We shake the news and some science fiction falls out and some science falls out. Science fiction just struck me as it's kind of a molecule. It's like some science and fiction get merged. So we then, uh, science fiction falls out and then we pull the science and the fiction apart a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, boy, I could just go forever with this metaphor. I could mm -hmm. <laughs> completely throw it in a food <clears throat> processor. Anything could happen. From the New York Times, the hallowed paper, the old gray ladies, they say. Um, although on the web, it's more like just the old black and white lady. We don't get so much gray anymore. Um, the headline is a soda ocean, in quotes, on a moon of Saturn has all the ingredients for life. And the subheadline, using data from the Cassini spacecraft, scientists discovered the presence of phosphates on icy Enceladus. We'll learn what, what the hell that means, phosphates. The author here is uh, the reporter Katrina Miller. And I'll just read a little bit of it here. Uh, Katrina writes, Enceladus the sixth largest of Saturn's 146 moons. Holy cow. I had lost track of how many moons we found of Saturn. Um, has a liquid, Enceladus has a liquid ocean with a rocky floor under its bright white and frosty surface. Ice volcanoes spew frozen grains of material into space, generating one of the many rings circling the planet. Now a team of researchers has discovered that those icy grains contain phosphates. They found them using data from Cassini, a joint uh, NASA-European orbiter that concluded its study of Saturn, its rings, and moons in 2017. Like a, that's a very gentle way of putting it, saying it concluded its study. It was intentionally crashed into the planet. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, its batteries are running low. Um, it is the first time... Phosphorus has been found in an ocean beyond Earth. By the way, just the fact that there is an ocean beyond Earth is kind of cool. The results which add to the prospect that Enceladus is home to extraterrestrial life. The prospect that Enceladus is home to extraterrestrial life were published on Wednesday in the journal Nature. Uh, I'll just wrap up here. Um, quote, we weren't expecting this. We didn't look for it said Frank Postberg, a planetary uh, scientist at the Free University of Berlin who led the study. He described the realization that they had found phosphates, which are chemicals containing the element phosphorus, as a, quote, tantalizing moment. So uh, what's an if we can... So now listeners can, can join us in, in seeing the process behind the, uh, the magic here. What's an if? Uh, one p potential if that comes to mind from this story, one imaginary scenario, uh, is that mm -hmm. simply there is life on Enceladus. 
Well, well I feel like think? that might be jumping ahead a little bit. What if we just okay. filled the universe with phosphorus and oh. then figured out what that did for us? Interesting. Interesting. <clears throat> Interesting. A winner. <laughs> you said it set off the alarm. That's pretty funny. You know what? I like the crazy idea of filling stuff with phosphorus because, Matt, I feel like you probably have a lot of the history and knowledge because if I remember correctly, phosphorus was kind of a fun thing for people to discover and start working with, at least on Earth. Yeah, we can go for that. All right. So, uh, uh, we now ask, and Gabby, could you tell us why we we are going to, as the siren behind Matt, If you, I don't know if the listeners can hear that. Sometimes like, it just disappears in the post-processing of the show. But uh, if you can hear, there were sirens sounding behind Matt um, because we are about to do something very dramatic. And Gabby, what is it? What should people, why, why do we need to take safety precautions here? Oh, yeah. So as we pick our one thing that we're changing about the universe, inevitably we will... Uh, sort of completely wreck uh, life as we know it. Uh, so it's probably best for us to put on our assorted goggles, personal protective equipment, etc., cetera, yes. uh, so that we can brave whatever uh, strange new frontier our reality warps into. Indeed. As we get ready, prepare, and we ask, what the if... The universe were full of phosphorus. Full of phosphorus everywhere. Would you smell it? That's my question. Would you taste it? What could you do? Could you get rich off it? It's always a good question. What if the universe were filled with phosphorus? And, uh, I think our first, my first question might be, when we say filled, how filled are we talking? What what density are we talking about? Uh, I would say uh, as much as you want. You can't Ooh. swing your arms without encountering some phosphorus. So it's not like we have to <laughs> swim through it, but there's as much available as you want. Amazing. Amazing. So why in the world would anybody care about, why, why are these guys so excited about this phosphorus, uh, and is it something that I encounter in my daily? What is? Tell, tell me about my. What's my relationship with phosphorus? Well, you're made up of about one percent of it. Oh, in your normal life. So Fantastic. I mean, you think about the fact that you are billions and billions of cells. You, that's kind of a fair amount of phosphorus. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I should start talking a little bit about why people are sort of freaking out about this in the context of Enceladus, and maybe why this is sort of impactful in the search for life. Um, so life as we know it on Earth is made primarily of oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, a little bit of nitrogen, and then just sort of a salt bay sprinkling of a bunch of other elements. And so most of the oxygen and hydrogen is actually water. Like we are primarily water and then carbon. But it turns out that a lot of really, really important things in our body need phosphorus, specifically phosphate. So mm. chemistry is one of these things I've ever seen, like really, really long names of chemicals. And you're like, what does this mean? How is this English? It actually <laughs> turns out that every sort of weird suffix or prefix on a chemical means something very specific, which is why the names tend to get very big, because it's sort of like 
you're using three letters to sort of represent what might be like an arrangement of two atoms in a larger chemical structure. So phosphate, the eight suffix indicates that there's oxygen and that there's a lot of it. So a phosphate is a phosphorus atom with four oxygens. And what's kind of neat about this is that, just to give a little bit of a chemistry aside, um, there's sort of more of a negative charge on three of the oxygens, which means that it's fairly easy for it to bind to other things. And so that phosphate is used in a number of different things across the cell. One of them that I think everybody has probably heard of before and is pretty important is DNA and RNA. Uh, the phosphate backbone of DNA that holds the bases together is made with phosphates. Also cell membranes that keep your cells from actually, like essentially, I think I've said this before, every cell is basically like a little fat bag of seawater. And the fat that makes up the bag is made of these things called phospholipids. And the little head group that's hydrophobic um, that essentially keeps this like great membrane polarity that lets us do so many things because our membranes have a direction um, that is made of a, a phosphate group at the tip of it. There's also ATP, the energy currency of the cell. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to do a throwback. The mitochondria we all know is the powerhouse of the cell, but essentially what it <laughs> makes is ATP. These little like molecular batteries that the cell uses for everything. Uh -huh. So, more or less, like at least life as we know it on Earth requires phosphate for a lot of really, really critical things. It's not what the cell is predominantly made of, but it's something that does a lot within the cell. So if we're looking for life that might have evolved similarly to life on Earth or looks anything like life on Earth, we're going to be trying to look for phosphate as one of the many atoms that we're looking for or molecules to potentially see if there might be life on a planet. What if I see, can I see phosphorus? What does it look like, smell like, taste like? Is it uh, Matt might know this better than I do, but if I remember phosphorus, it glows if mm -hmm. there's a lot of that's it, actually right? What? What the, that's what the word phosphorus means, thing that, thing that gives off light. <laughs> Whoa. Um, uh, yeah, and in fact, those of you um, of a certain age will remember old-style televisions. Um, yeah which is uh, basically old-style televisions, the ones that are kind of long, um, are an electron gun um, that shoot electrons. And then oh. the screen itself has a coating of phosphor on the oh, inside. And when the right. electrons hit it, that glows. So right. if you've ever seen, if you've ever sat in front of an old-style monitor or TV, you've hung out with phosphorus already. Wow, cool. And if I remember correctly, discovery of phosphorus is like really weird. Like it was one yeah, of those alchemy guys who it's like a little collect gross. a lot of. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> gross. Maybe I shouldn't say it. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. We should. I think we can't not. Um, we'll get more listeners, uh, whether the listeners we want or not. Um, this guy <laughs> named uh, Henning Brandt. He was an alchemist back in the 17th century. Um, you know, looking for the philosopher stone, like people do, um, and decided. Um, well, there's no other way to say it, that in his pee, um, there might be something interesting. Um, <laughs> and if you think there's something interesting in a liquid, the way you get to that interesting thing is you boil it down. And hopefully what's left behind is that interesting thing. So if you want salt, you boil salt water and you get salt. Um, so he boils a little bit of his urine and nothing interesting. So I boil some more and he boils some more and he ends up boiling, um, I don't know, something like a thousand liters of it. Um, if you, can you imagine thousand. how long it would take to accumulate a thousand liters of pee? 
Listen, oh. we, I think we have to pursue this. So, so <laughs> soda. <laughs> oh, no. Because we're talking about the soda plant. And soda sometimes comes in those large plastic bottles, which are two mm-hmm. liters. Yeah. So 500 of those, yeah. Soda that um, um, yeah, yeah wow, and then he spends uh, so he accumulates all of that for however long that takes, yeah, um, and then spends a couple of days boiling that down, and he's left with this um, white waxy glowing substance that he names phosphor uh, phosphorus, uh, and then it turns out that it's in all as Gabby was saying in all sorts of um, living compounds, and its role isn't really clear until we understand things like the phosphate backbone. Um, but it's uh, it's clearly necessary for life uh, early on, um, and also it turns out to be really useful for fertilizer, too, um, ah. because it helps structure these complicated organic molecules that you need for things like fertilizer. Um, but it is a little hard to come by, I think, right? You have to boil a thousand liters of your pea to get a couple of <laughs> grams of it. Um, so uh, it turns out that actually once people realize this is important, um, uh, phosphates become a uh, economically valuable mineral too. So some places mm. get rich off of that. Uh, and oh. in fact, this headline that we're talking about today uh, is only the second phosphate headline in the last week. Uh, the first mm. was that Norway found that it had a giant deposit of phosphates, like oh. um, enough phosphates for the next hundred years of use in the earth. So maybe the Norwegians are ahead of us on the if, actually. Wow. Um, yeah. But this is actually an, an enormous economic thing. So now Norway has both um, natural gas and phosphates. So they will be ruling the world shortly. And I so want to welcome our Viking overlords. I was going to say this, <laughs> th- and, and and their Viking pee that seems to have right. it must have been a reservoir of Viking pee. Um, oh, an aquifer! Oh no, <laughs> aquifer. aquifer. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Uh, so inside your pee is some. By the way, I'm not going to step away from the pee, the word pee. <laughs> oh no! Because I happen to know that we have a number of 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds who do listen. Because a, a number of people have told me they like to listen with their kids, and uh, kids love nothing more than talking yeah, there's about. There's nothing funnier than pee. Yeah. Things that you should talk shouldn't talk about. Um, uh, inside your pee is some glowing. There's a little bit of glow in your in your pee. So that's that's, right. that's fun. Um, <laughs> Don't boil your pee at home, kids. Yeah, this or, is not an encouragement to start <laughs> repeating ancient alchemy. <laughs> um, so, but I'm just curious where uh, um, we'll get to where the phosphorus is coming from on Enceladus. But uh, in Norway, where do you find this? Is it like oh, it's under- in the ground. So uh, phosphate is a a rock. Um, oh, oh, it's it's oh, a whole right. family of of rocks. Um, but yeah, so you can go, and in fact, actually, it's it's kind of horrifying, but it probably did um, get distilled from essentially a pea aquifer. Um, ah, some, from dinosaurs at some point or something? in the past, there is some large amount of phosphate dissolved in, or phosphorus dissolved in water that then settled out into a rock. Ah. Um, because the dinosaurs would pee in the swimming pool, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I don't know enough about geology to say where that where that would have come from. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but something like that. Um, but generally, phosphorus, because it, it bonds in interesting ways, um, tends to be bound up in existing uh, matter. It's not, like, freely available. 
Um, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's worth hunting down because it's useful for so many things. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so on Enceladus, um, do you want to talk uh, about either of you? Uh, so where, why is this important that they found it? What does that mean? Um, and first, let's just talk about where, in other words, what it seems to say about what's going on underneath. It, as, as the article painted a picture of uh, Enceladus, it's, it really just looks like a little snowball. It's a very small moon, as moons go. And um, uh, what happened was the uh, Cassini, um, I believe, was late in its mission, or at some point during its, its many years of uh, orbiting Saturn and looking at all, all the different moons that are there and, and the rings and the planet, of course. Um, they noticed that there were these, uh, there was this cloud around Enceladus, and they realized that it was actually that the planet was, uh, that there were geysers um, of, I believe, uh, ice, uh, water, essentially, um, shooting out of um, the planet in specific places, forming this cloud around the planet. And uh, when Cassini was very late in this mission, and they knew that it was going to be ending soon because the batteries were running low, um, they decided, hey, we got nothing to lose. Let's fly Cassini, the satellite, through the clouds. And um, they picked up, uh, they have sensors. In fact, there were, I believe there were two sensors in particular that uh, picked up basically um, little you know, particles of this, of this ice um, uh, hit the uh, sensors, and then they were able to analyze it. And incredibly, this was, what did it say? It was back in 2017, I think, when this data was gathered, and uh, they're only now getting you know, through the data. There was so much data was gathered, um, and it takes so long to analyze all these things. They're getting to the point where they're realizing, well, they're finding that in that ice, this is incredible to me. They're just tiny, tiny particles of ice hit this satellite billions of miles from us. And then it comes, the computer data is sent here, sits around digest, and the scientists very deliberately and slowly go through all this material. Mm-hmm. And from all of that, they're eventually able to see the exact composition of um, what's going on inside there. And so they find this phosphorus. What, what does that tell them? Why are they so excited? Yeah, so Enceladus, for a number of reasons, has been kind of our current best guess of if there's life in the solar system, it's Mm. probably there. Like, outside of Mm. our own planet, obviously, caveat, uh, it's probably there. So Mm. there's a couple different reasons. One, we found basically every atom that is required for life that we currently have. Mm. And then two, the conditions of this sort of snowball that's not frozen all the way through that has some kind of volcanic activity mm. is very, very reminiscent of where how we think life might have evolved on Earth. So you've oh, probably heard yeah. the primordial soup idea, but some of the idea is actually maybe that life started at these deep ocean volcanic vents. Mm. So if you've ever seen videos of them, they're like the things crawling with all of those like weird tube worms, stuff that's able to like feed off of these like boiling hot chemicals. Yeah. And so the idea is, okay, well, the ice is going to essentially insulate the planet. Uh, so it's, you're, you might have layers of ice, miles and miles thick, but as long as there's liquid water anywhere in there, life can exist. Yeah. And then if there's something that's, you know, chemically active, thermally active, like one of those deep ocean vents, um, 
you could get maybe the formation of like the earliest organic molecules, that same sort of stump, trip and stumble into life that life on Earth had. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that's sort of... I like that, trip and stumble. It's a sort of molecular mm-hmm. stumble. Um, and so seeing that there's also phosphates on there is like, okay, cool. So exactly everything that we think was on primordial Earth that led to life is also on this other planet. Mm. So it's sort of like our greatest freak out of we might get to see a completely separate branch of evolution of life uh, from a completely different origin, yeah. but very, very similar building blocks, which is why people are very excited about it, even though it's one of these things that we're not going to know for a hot minute. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess perhaps because you mentioned that, for instance, phosphorus, we are 1% phosphorus, but that without it, in other words, it's it's an essential ingredient that mm-hmm. um, you I could imagine. Furthermore, why they're so excited? In other words, they had found all these different things that are ingredients of life, but fo- but if you didn't have phosphorus, it might be like, well, they don't have everything. And now they found like one of these essential ingredients. That's mm-hmm. really uh, compelling. Um, Matt, what? Uh, it's hard to say, but I'm going to say, what What do you, do you think uh, there's, what, we don't know the odds, but I just, I feel like it seems to me, uh, not being a scientist, I can make the leap and, and say, and I can do what Arthur C. Clarke used to do, was he used to say, I, I've seen him on panel. I used to see Arthur C. Clarke on panels with other scientists, and he would say, well, because I'm the science fiction writer, I can say things that none, none of them <laughs> else here can, and he would say, uh, I'm pretty sure that Mars is riddled with life mm-hmm. underground. You know? So I would say, I don't know, it seems really likely. Just given the fact that, um, isn't it true that every single place where there's even the most minute amount of water on Earth, life exists? We have found life, even on places where the... Uh, re- re- yeah, that's right. So be. here on Earth, certainly the last hundred years of... Uh, Studying extremophiles and such has suggested mm. that anywhere it is possible for life to exist, it seems to exist here. Yeah. Um, and that's a, I should say, that's a really old idea, um, at least going back to the Greeks. It's got a special name, the principle of plenitude. Oh. Um, all oh, things fun. that can happen will happen. Um, and it's, uh, it's applied early on to um, life elsewhere in the universe, too. Um, essentially, the idea was anywhere that life could exist, it does. So people thought, you know, Kepler thought people lived on the moon. John Herschel thought people lived oh. on the sun. Um, and this, you know, the, the reason for that is they didn't really have a good sense of, of what it meant for uh, or what life actually needed to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then come 19th and 20th century chemistry and astrophysics, um, we get a better understanding of what life needs. And also that most of the universe seems to be pretty inhospitable, right? We find that Mars is really cold and um, that uh, the moon doesn't have an atmosphere and things like that. Um, So the 20th century gets kind of pessimistic about life elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But then in recent years, we've gradually been clawing that 
back. So we have found water in lots of places around the universe. Um, and then, but then things like phosphorus um, are hard to detect from a distance. So the fact that we you actually kind of need to go and catch some, which is essentially what Cassini de- did. It had a big yeah. bucket um, and caught it and <laughs> funneled it into its mass spectrometer. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that, you know, the the one spacecraft we had in a place that could conceivably have found the makings of life finds it right away. Um, Then you start to say, well, maybe we should rethink our pessimism, right? Maybe we can be optimistic. Um, If something as weird and hard to track down as uh, phosphorus is being literally spewed into space in huge quantities, um, then that suggests perhaps the universe is full of those building blocks of life um, and uh, the possibility of critters elsewhere um, becomes much, much more likely. Yeah. And um, uh, another thing that's sort of astounding about what we've learned here is that uh, we used to think that if life exists, well, we would just say, well, it has to be on a planet like Earth that's this particular distance from this, from its star, the habitable zone, you know, it has to be just, just warm enough, not, not too hot, not too cold, not too hot like Venus, not too cold like Mars, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And now we're discovering is that uh, on a moon of Saturn, as well as a moon of Jupiter on Europa, uh, we also, we don't, we actually do get some the water from Europa does make its way to the surface somehow, and I think it stains the snow. I don't know that it shoots out in plumes like it does from Enceladus. But we we believe that similarly to Enceladus, Europa, which I think is quite a bit larger than Enceladus, but that under the very thick um, miles of ice uh, that cover Europa, a moon of Jupiter, underneath there is an ocean that has more water than all the ocean water on Earth because um, it covers the entire moon. And in both cases, by the way, they, the, these moons are kept warm in the center, um, like a, I don't know, like a... Um, a cozy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> by uh, being squeezed um, by the uh, tidal gravitational forces as they go around the gigantic planets that they orbit, right? Keeps them, uh, keeps them lubricated, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's maybe neat about the possibility of life on Enceladus, right, is when you're considering the possibility of life elsewhere in the universe, you have two camps, right? Either life is very, very rare mm. or life is extremely common. Mm. And so either way, it suggests that there's life somewhere else in the universe because I think I've mentioned this on the show a couple of times, extremely rare events with a large enough sample size are going to yield a large number of events because the universe is millions and billions and trillions of planets, that's a pretty large sample size. So even if it's only a, a millionth of a percent of planets that have life, yeah. you're going to have life then on multiple planets. Yeah. Um, but there's the other camp, which is maybe life is extremely common. So it's going to be, if we find something on Enceladus that came from a completely different, as far as we can tell, evolutionary origin, that might suggest that, hey, maybe life is more common than we think it is. So maybe we have actually a fair chance of, you know, running into this again. Um, Also, alternatively, if we find life on Enceladus is remarkably similar to life on Earth, it might point to some sort of asteroid spread theory. I think we did a panspermia Mm. episode at one point. Um, And that's, some people's thought that maybe life on Earth wasn't kickstarted here. It was maybe kickstarted on Mars or somewhere else and then blasted into Earth. um, Because... 
I guess the current theories aren't fun enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Also, if you just think of the numbers, and this is wild speculation, but, um, you know, in a sense, if there was life on Europa, or at least the closest, you know, the, all the ingredients are there, let's say, on Europa, and all the ingredients are there on Celadus, that's one moon per giant planet. And the vast majority of, of uh, exoplanets, uh, the vast majority of planets we have seen outside our own solar system are giant planets. Partly that's because those are the easiest ones Easy to find. To yeah. mm -hmm. But if every one of those has a moon, has at least one moon that potentially you know, has these ingredients, that's an astounding number of uh, uh, bodies uh, out there that could have things. Now, Matt, you had said what the, or what the if here was that phosphorus is everywhere. So if we really blow that up, what, what happens now? Is it bad for you if there's too many, too much? Um, I don't know if it's toxic. Um, I would say that wouldn't be so much the, the issue. I, I wouldn't be so concerned about having too much phosphorus. Yeah. Um, computer screens get cheap. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, but also, but I think the, um, if we think of phosphorus as one of the sort of limiting regents of life, Mm, then mm. it becomes possible to have large amounts of life everywhere. Um, and here on Earth, that'll mean things like fertilizer becomes cheap, which would be nice, so that can feed <laughs> more people. Um, uh, and I should say that's a non-trivial thing. Um, uh, so uh, let's see here. This is something I, I learned from my time living in Iowa, is that um, good soil... Um, and good fertilizer requires lots of, of phosphorus, but since there isn't very much of that, uh, and after you use it, it tends to just run off in rain. Um, uh, so for instance, um, one of the strange features of this is that the Mississippi river has tons of, uh, phosphorus and phosphates in it. Um, it's just run off from all the agriculture at the great plains. Um, so then the, uh, the mouth of the Mississippi in the Gulf of Mexico, um, dumps all of this phosphorus, um, which actually does, I guess it does become, I don't know if it's acidic or no, it must be alkaline. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so the, nothing can, there's these giant dead zones, um, uh, near the mouths of rivers that just come from agricultural runoff. Wow. So we're in this perverse situation where there's this desperately needed mineral, um, that we need literally to feed ourselves and create life. Um, that's in huge quantities, but it's dumped in the ocean where we can't really get to it easily. Um, and then it kills everything that's there. <laughs> so, wow. uh, sorry, go ahead, Gabby. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I was going to mention. So part of the, that feedback loop that Matt specifically mentions, I don't know about the Mississippi specifically, but the way I've seen it is, uh, fun is, is algae blooms. So yeah. oh, because no, okay. phosphorus okay. is really important for life, it's getting used. The problem is it's getting used by quickly growing little microorganisms that are growing just so, so, so much faster than any multicellular plant or little fish or something like that. Mm. So what you get is a huge bloom of algae that grows all over the top of the water. And then what happens is that that will, among other things, shade out plants that are below the surface and it'll start stripping oxygen from the water. So then it creates a super dead zone where it has taken up a lot of the oxygen from the surrounding environment and killed all of the fish, etc. Wow. So wow. it's not super fun uh, <laughs> when it makes its way into the water, um, unless 
we're just continuing to find uh, life in the universe now that has adapted to having these hyperphosphate conditions yeah. where mm-hmm. maybe there's an, their ecosystems work, either work intrinsically with that sort of boom bust of mm. populations. Because when the algae die, then they also decay in the water and they've killed most of the other things that would break them down. So it's really nasty. So maybe the ecosystem of a place that has so much phosphorus is used to this boom-bust cycle. Or maybe there's more stuff in place that kind of keeps it from doing this sort of explosion, crash, explosion, crash Mm. kind of population dynamics that we see on Earth because we're not used to having this much phosphorus, free phosphates. That's interesting. And so, and Matt, you're saying so the phosphorus at the mouth of the Mississippi. That's not something they can easily recycle. Obviously, right? Somebody no, would do it. you'd have to do the Henning Brandt thing and boil down vast amounts of it. Uh-oh. And I, I suspect it's still, even though it's so concentrated, it's causing these algae blooms. I suspect it's still less concentrated than it is in urine. Um, so it's probably not cost effective, especially now that Norwegians have all of this phosphate. Right. Um, but uh, probably within, I don't know, within decades. Actually, if the Norwegians hadn't found all this phosphate, <laughs> um, <laughs> the amount of phosphorus available um, on the surface of the earth would have become the limiting factor for how much food we can produce wow. as a civilization. Um, to the point where people are coming up with schemes for like recycling from human urine um, so oh. we can get back uh, those teeny bits of phosphorus. Well, I was going to make the joke that we should be giving people the Mississippi River water, purified Mississippi River <laughs> yeah. water, but then yeah. hyper-concentrating out the phosphorus. Mm-hmm. But my, my asterisk is that too much phosphorus apparently will strip calcium from your bones. So it, it's, it's also oh. kind of an L uh, for anybody who's volunteering for the hyper-phosphorus reclamation program. <laughs> <laughs> my takeaway was that Enceladus is uh, surrounded in, a, in an ocean of pee. That's pretty much what <laughs> I was figuring. Um, uh, last, as we wrap up, two questions for the panel. One, do we think it, it, it is possible, this hasn't ruled out the possibility, that there may, not only may there be molec- uh, you know, molecular or what do we, what do we call it, uh, uh, microbial life or something on Enceladus possibly, uh, but there might be, it's been there for four billion years or something like that. There might be little creatures, there might be fish, is that right? Well, that's right. And boom-bust cycles of the sort Gabby was describing is mm. a really good environment for evolutionary experimentation. Oh. Lots of lots of life, lots of death. Um, I think the the downside there is that there wouldn't there might not be a whole lot of evolutionary um, pressure if there's lots of resources. Um, so <laughs> it'll be an interesting lab to to see exactly what um, happens there. But it's at least plausible that there's complicated critters based on something like DNA too. Oh wow, yeah, that and that is one of the biggest questions. And so, uh, uh, what about if we wrap up the uh, the universe is full of phosphorus everywhere? What does that mean? My fun thing that I think it might mean is uh, that you might not really want to take a dip in the ocean in other places <laughs> in the universe. Uh, so the thing about Enceladus is, I think they use the term "soda ocean," and yeah, we got inside yeah, a yeah. club soda edition. Soda mm-hmm, right, does not right. mean soda in the way that it means soda water. Where you think because uh, soda water is acidic, it means soda in the way baking soda. Oh. So the whole thing <laughs> has a pH not as strong as bleach, but it is alkaline. It's in that family. So 
you might not have the most fun doing a beach vacation on like <laughs> K286J exoplanet right. um, if the universe in this edition is just doused super much in phosphorus. All right. I'm still willing to try. Yeah, I'd say that <laughs> K286 or whatever is the laundry planet. Uh, you know, <laughs> or the Clorox Corporation just starts buying up moons of giant planets. That sounds entirely Every, plausible, actually. Yeah, yeah, that sounds <laughs> way too accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. Well, this was this was fascinating, and thank you to the folks at NASA for uh, for the what the if this week. <laughs> for uh, yeah, they're us. always very generous providing stuff for us. Very good. What's our taxpayer dollars at work? Mm-hmm. You know, so I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a fair trade, um, but that is that is super cool. Um, look up the story. Uh, the one we read was from the New York Times by Katrina Miller, and I'm sure you can find it elsewhere in your science news uh, about uh, the discovery uh, on Enceladus. Um, anything uh, you'd like to plug, Gabby, this week coming up? Uh, well, continued plug for uh, Neon Hemlock Press's Luminescent Machinations Anthology, where I have a piece mm. in that. It's coming out the 25th of this month. Oh, uh, they've started so sending out the editions to anybody who contributed or was part of the Kickstarter. Um, oh, so I'm very right. excited. I should be getting mine soon. All the photos of it look really nice and very, I don't know, it's still like a little surreal that like this is my professional publication. It's in a mm-hmm. hardcover book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is delightful. And if any of you guys are interested, I would recommend checking it out. That's fantastic. Right. Cool. The dead, yeah. the dead tree edition, as they call it. Um, <laughs> the, the, the paper version. Um and the, there's a link to to Gabby's new um, publication on our uh, on the in the show description there. Uh, Matt, anything you'd like to plug? Um, no, if you want to meet Freya, you can come down to the dog park at Washington oh, Square. And, wonderful. Uh, we're, we're there a lot. Wonderful. Is she getting along with the other puppies? The other um, dogs? Yeah, for the most part, she's um, she's actually growing so fast that every time we go. The dogs that she was the right size to play with last time are now smaller than her. Uh, oh so no! <laughs> so there's a little bit of confusion trying to find the right playmates. But oh my god, that's funny. Mm-hmm. That's a good what the if. What if we grew? So fast? Yeah, she grows about a pound a day. So wow, you're having a Clifford the Big Red Dog situation. I, I'm just calling I, it right I now. I am a little anxious about this. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, well, thank you, and uh, our Patreon listeners will be uh, uh, gifted, as they are every week, um, with a bonus content with an extended episode. We will discuss uh, the magic of phosphorus and the glowing things, uh, and uh, we may or may not talk about uh, waste substances or, or not. You know, we may <laughs> feel that we've done we've done that, and we may move on to a cleaner post show uh, or the happy hour, as we also call it. Patreon listeners. Um, Thank all of you, uh, our newest Patreon uh, patron, uh, Patreon supporter, our newest patron. I always stumble over these words. Tasha, thank you. And Dan, thank you as always. By the way, Dan submitted another fantastic if, which I think we may be taking up next week. So thank you. Um, if you want to be like Tasha and Dan and all of our other um, Patreon supporters, go to patreon.com slash what the if and find out what it's all about or just go to our website whattheif.com, and you can see all our episodes there. You can learn about us, and you can learn about our patron, Patreon uh, program, as well as all kinds of fun merch that you can have um, and things like that. Also, by the way, Patreon has opened up a new thing now where you're, you can have a store on your page where you can sell things 
directly, even to people who are not <laughs> Patreon supporters. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Gabby, we can get your book up there and other things. So um, exciting stuff happening. Were you going to say something? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I figured yeah. we can't because it's, you know, actually published by a company that's selling it themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll put a link. We'll put a link, as always. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, Matt, would you like to uh, uh, tell us uh, what we should do to prepare for the closing ceremonies? Um, well, you should put on your safety goggles um, and your uh, thick rubber gloves and boots. Um, because as you uh, enter this new world, you open the door and are greeted by the millions of gallons of pee that you need to work with in order to create this new universe, and you resignedly scream out, What the Thank you all for listening. Stay hydrated. Because it's <laughs> summer and why not make more phosphorus? Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.